0: Com podcast, and here's your host Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, uh, Tennis.com podcast. Uh, we have the group, the rivalry back together. Ed McGrogan, Pete Bodo, Steve Tigner, um, catching up about the men's game. The just ended World Tour Finals. The upcoming, truly season-ending Davis Cup final. Um, you, know, you guys have both had your say on the actual match itself. I wanted to take a little bigger look at things. Going into this World Tour Finals, I thought there was a lot of debate, a lot of good debate about who was really this ATP player of the year. I thought you could make cases for Murray, Federer, Djokovic. Maybe Djokovic was leading that debate at the time, even so. But I think his performance here from the consensus I see seemed to really cement that. And I was wondering if if a if you agree with that and b maybe what this really says about our importance of the, of the world tour finals because we always talk about you know does this tournament really mean what the ATP says it should mean i guess so i'll let one of you guys fire now, away now steve
1: just told me before in the hallway he thought that time is was the atp player of the year <laughs> oh really
0: oh <laughs> yeah i got a whole different theory Well, <laughs> if he wins the, if he wins a cup final that's Maybe maybe we can back that up. No, but how
1: how do we argue with that? I think you just explained. You just gave the answer. You know, with your question. I mean, I mean, I, I thought Murray. You know, if Djokovic did not win this, I would have picked Murray or Federer, uh, and really pretty close. Maybe would have gone with Federer just because of the circumstantial stuff. I don't
2: know about you, Steve, but I think if, if... if Federer had won the final, I was probably going to pick. Have to look at it a little more closely, but probably going to pick um, Federer for the Player of the Year. He would have had. The World Tour Final, a winning record against Djokovic, a slam, um, multiple masters. But now it's obvious Djokovic is is the best player of the year. He sealed it with that. And I think also as far as the World Tour Final went, this match made the tournament seem more important than it has other times because there was a little – something on the line between these two guys more than there has been in recent years.
0: This was a final where, uh, you know, you know, this tournament actually hasn't had many great finals. Thinking back on it, you really kind of have to go back to that Nelbandi and Federer Mm -hmm. in 05 to really think of kind of a classic in my, even the Roger Rafa ones of the past, um, 2010. Yeah. That was, I don't think that was, that wasn't a great final. They had a better match in the semis. I think you've alluded to in previous years, but this match, even though it was a two-set final, it it uh, it had a lot of swings. It, it had certainly a dramatic end, or you know, some very dramatic points and all that. And uh, I thought end of the year on a pretty good note. I still going back to this player of the year thing. We were talking about uh, a couple days ago how we how it was universal between me and a couple other people talking about Murray as the player of the year. So that that's why I bring that up is I feel like there was a lot of back and forth, and I I feel like now it's just clear as day in the opinion that it's Djokovic, and it's hard to argue with
2: that. But. I think Murray, you know, Murray had a big impact. He had a big breakthrough, obviously Wimbledon final, Olympics, U.S. Open. But when you look at his total year, he only won three tournaments. That's I didn't even realize that until the end of the year. He he wasn't that. Consistent wasn't that great outside of those, you know, those few events. I mean, obviously, I would say he had the breakthrough of the year. That's that's for sure. Yeah, but right.
1: player of the year though is I think a little bit about the impact too. It's mm-hmm. you know it's the immeasurables, and that's why you can't really get bent out of shape if somebody agrees or doesn't agree with you about it. But uh, yeah, it's how you
2: define it for sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't, right. you
1: don't you don't crunch it based on the numbers and stuff. And in in that, in that regard, I think Murray had the inside track on that. The thing is, you couldn't deny Djokovic the player of the year title after he won here if you wouldn't have won here, then you could actually, it would have left the door open. I also think that it's pretty easy to, I don't think Olympics should be underestimated. I mean, the thing is it's once every 4 years. That's mm-hmm. a big deal. I mean, you only get you only get three chances maybe in your career if you're lucky. And Murray to win had Olympic Murray had gold. even
0: more pressure because it was at Wimbledon too. So no, exactly.
1: Was, yeah. The other thing was this year especially now you can't really elevate that title just for this year because it was at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think it, I don't even know was it a best of 5 final potential? Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, it was. It okay. Was. Uh, I don't remember, but mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, I I think that's an important thing to have best of five. Uh, I think it would have been nice. You know, it it, it needs to be at least a 10-day event. And I I think it's a very, very big title, which I think a fair number of people don't really buy into, partly because it's so overwhelmed by the other Olympic things.
0: And and this year, too, well, this year is also in the Olympics, I think, is the first year in a little while um, that the the metal platform was kind of pretty much – it was pretty much represented much like all the other big events this year. Right. By, and that hasn't been the case in a lot of Olympics. You've seen some kind of out-there medalists. And, and Nicholas Masu. <laughs> right. right. And, and this year, I think a lot of players really put the emphasis on it, of course, and, and, and that kind of showed on the results there. I mean, that was
2: a big win for Murray. The One thing I would say is it doesn't really – shouldn't take anything away from Murray, but he is the player who benefited the most from Nadal being out. That opened up his draw at Wimbledon
0: because he uh, he lost him. What was it? All, all four times, to- or yeah, and he lost the the semifinal. Yeah,
2: at the Open right. the year before, and he went on to win the Open this year. That's nothing to take away from Murray. He beat everybody he had to beat, but I think that is true that he benefited from the Dalman. Yeah, it,
1: that's better. very true because you wonder if if he also if he had to if it was the guys he
0: beat plus Nadal, you know, then it's tougher. Then then it's de- definitely yeah, tougher. Right. One one last thing I want to mention on Federer in this final, it was. Uh, I said this match had a lot of swings. Federer had the break leads in both sets, um had set points in the second set. It, it almost seems uh recently like like it's Federer and Djokovic kind of switch roles a little bit as Roger is this player who you're seeing now at 31 with these patches of invincibility, this imperious play at the start of the match. He won eight points in a row. I mean that you can chuck that up to, you know, just getting into the match, but but you do see I think more of this the highs and lows of Roger, the erratic play contrasted with the really the lights out hitting. And Djokovic has become more of this consistent player that we used to always give Roger sort of as the, the standard bearer for that. So,
2: Yeah, I think also this is an interesting match in that Federer had the lead twice and Djokovic came back to win. You usually would think of, you know, that's another sign that Djokovic is the number one for this year and at this, at this moment that he's, he's the guy who wins the big points. The, the match was Djokovic won 96 points, Federer won 95 and Djokovic won two sets. So he won more sets than difference than points. So it just shows that Djokovic, at this point, has that little extra confidence. Even when Feder went to serve for the match and Djokovic hit a couple really good – serve for the second set, Djokovic hit a couple really good returns. It seemed to really affect Roger um, the same way it had at the, the Open in 2011. I feel right. like yeah. Feder really, you know, was affected by that and played really poorly after that game. Right. You can
1: see Djokovic feels that if that, you know when he needs to raise his game, that's what he's gonna do. And not that he can guarantee it even for himself. But that comes with being a great player. It's a little bit like you go out there and say, okay, I'm gonna take the body punches. This guy's let's see what this guy's really got. But you know, you're thinking in the back of your mind, you sort of also know that when it comes to the key moment, you know, you maybe dial it up a little bit. The irony is that with Federer, it's almost the other way around. It's a little like he's almost like it's almost like he knows there are going to be these lapses. I, I put that down to somewhat to his age. I mean, it's what I always call champions' fatigue, which is after a while you just mentally can't sustain that.
2: You know, you, your appetite's not this. You can't watch your Fed Cup. That's Roger what you, that's what you discussed
0: with, with Pete Sampras and all that. Exactly. And, uh, right. That so. was bound in that.
2: I also think that that Djokovic now is up there with Nadal and w- in Federer's mind as somebody that he's not as certain against as he might have been. You know, he's he's pretty certain and sure of himself against everybody else, but. Rafa has always, you know, has always made him uncertain and now Djokovic seems to be in that place.
0: I want to before we go away from this also mention the other semifinalist Del Potro, we've talked about, it. we even gotten a doll into the picture here. We haven't mentioned Del Potro. He makes the semis of this. Um, he beat Roger in the round robin. He had a, a year where he makes this final 4. He had that another classic uh with Federer losing it in the Olympics. So a lot of people are going to obviously say that going into 2013, I, they'll size him up as kind of ready to kind of reassert himself, maybe puncture that big four status at the slams. But I, I do think still that kind of saying it, and you know, it is obvious, I think, to say it, but do you really think that Del Potro is kind of back at that caliber where when it comes down to it at a grand slam and he's up against a Djokovic or a Murray or Federer in a semifinal, that he's going to break through and do well, it. Well, I was about
2: to you know, say something like that when he won the first set against Djokovic in the semis after he had beaten Federer two straight times. Like, okay, now Del Potro is really ready. Then, of course, he totally faded away in the last two sets. It seems like he's back at that level and can play at that level. But there, if, you know, if you take that match as some indication, he lacks some killer instinct or whatever you want to call it, that Federer, Djokovic, Murray, Nadal all have. He just, you know, he is a a good competitor to El Potro, but, you know, sometimes he doesn't, you know, there's just something that's not quite there that, you know, I don't know know how to put it exactly, but he seemed to fade in that match when he really could have won that match against Djokovic. That game to me, his game
1: to me, you know, this is, you know, I mean, God bless him. He's a, he's a very nice kid. He seems like a big, gentle, giant kind of thing. But the game to me is so one-dimensional. It's, it's one of those things where I look at his game. I just don't really get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's big. He hits the ball a ton, yeah. You know, but it's, you know, and he hits it fairly flat, which is a little bit different maybe today. But, you know, I don't think he uses the court space really well. He's His balls are well inside. He kind of bulls through you. It's like he sticks his head down and goes to the stone wall. And I think that's how he beat Federer in that 2009 final. Yeah. And he hasn't been able to duplicate that, partly for mental reasons. I agree with you on that, but I'm, I'm also, that game, I just don't think that game's going to stand up against what these guys are doing.
2: One thing you can say he can't do that the other guys can do is when he, when he hurts somebody from the baseline, he doesn't really come in and finish a point at the net. Those guys, at least Murray and Federer, are good at that, and that's, a, that's a, an element of his game that he doesn't have.
0: And all of those top-tier opponents that he's facing are just as good defenders, I think everybody would say, as, as offensive players, and that just makes Del Potro really kind of and like you said, the flat ball—it's a thing where he does have to kind of play on that line of perfection, and there's really no. But he's
2: close now. He's as close as he's been since '09. Yeah, sure. it's. Um, he's got to beat you with offense, you know. So if you
1: can take his offense away or blunt his offense, then, then then you're in with a shot. And I just don't think he has that sort of out of my out of his tree. Where am I doing here? Hit the heck out of the ball. Win the U.S. Open. I don't think that's his, his mindset anymore. Is he in a, way. a player that you,
0: is he a player that you think is is higher on the? on the list than like a, I think two guys that are often compared with him as Burdich and Sanga, or do you kind of put them in the same really level at this point, or are we splitting hairs
2: really, you know, going, I bad? think, be- I think because Del Potro has done it once, you, you give him the, the edge to do it again over those guys. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And the, we, the com- and we conveniently forget David Furr in that discussion, but we will get to him now. We're gonna um, the Davis Cup final. Hill, he's still playing, as as we often say. Uh, Spain goes to the Czech Republic. Spain looking for, I am pretty sure it's their third title in four years. Um, to me, this fourth is, and five, I think, and sixth
1: overall, or I th- think th- it's three and four. All right.
0: I could be wrong, uh, and, and they've won three though within the last, I think, five or six right. years. It, it's you know, it's a dynasty for sure. Looking at it that way. And uh, to me, this is kind of a tough final to read. You go, you have the indoor hard court, you have the Czech crowd, um, but a player like Ferrer, I think, I think, my, I think he's now kind of a, a legit threat on any service. I think that clay has been long discounted. He won Paris, of course. I do think Spain, top to bottom, probably has the overall team. We were just talking about their doubles team of Granollers and Lopez; they won in in London. So what do you guys think of this final, you know, maybe how long
2: it goes and just some general thoughts on it? I think it probably comes down to the second guys. I mean, Ferrer, you would think was going to win his his match. Uh, he's a, you know, excellent Davis Cup player. But you, I feel like Almagro and Stepanek are kind of wild cards. Burdich is also a good Davis Cup player. And I think the doubles is 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 a big will be a huge factor because like you said, um, Lopez and Granollers just won in London, but Berdych and Stepanek have a really good record in Davis Cup, so you know that I, I would still favor Spain overall. But I think if if they can win that doubles match, that would that's that would make a difference. I
1: think court surface is going to be huge, and it's because basically no matter how well David Ferrer has played on on hard courts, he hasn't played on many hard courts so that are going to be as fast as this one. If the Czechs have have their wits about them, mm-hmm. and I think Ste- I think Stepanek. I saw a couple of reports. Stepanek was encouraging me, the guys, you know, the federation to put down as fast as possible a court as sense. they can, and they do have a measuring device so they can't go overboard and play it on indoor wood like they would have at one time. But so there, there is an out, outside limit. We saw that outside limit in the U.S. matches when Patrick McElroy was captain uh, against the Spanish in North Carolina and a co- bunch of other matches. Whenever he, you know, he chose and actually tailored, you know, and went down, made three or four visits to the manufacturing plant. I think it's in North Carolina where they make that indoor court we used, and to make sure it was as fast fast as possible, and most important, as low-bouncing as possible. That was a big thing. You wanted that bounce nice and low, and I think the Czechs are probably going to mm-hmm. duplicate that, so we'll see. Burdage benefits from that, surely. There. Yeah, Here's it, a question it, it, for you, though. I was thinking about this today. Now, th- does Ferrer really, really benefit from being number two behind Rafael Nadal? This is kind of not Davis Cup necessarily, but is it an advantage or disadvantage for Ferrer to have Nadal be so good and be playing at the same
2: time? To have Nadal be the you mean overall, outside yeah, of Davis? in country? general, and his, for his whole career outside of it Davis? Takes the country. pressure off him as, as a player, and he can kind of go under the radar? I mean,
0: the, with the Spain in general, I think uh, you got, I think they've had probably five people in the top 20 at one time, too, so that also lessens that expectation on him. Uh, I think, considering how many times Ferrer has gone to the quarters of a slam and has kind of bowed out almost dutifully at that point, that you're right, a, a lot more... You get a lot. He would get as much flack as say like a Burdich, for example, who hasn't cracked that right. you know that plane of a Grand Slam winner. Just um, a recognition
1: factor, though. You know, he's number two to Nadal, so everybody gives him a pass because he's you know Nadal is great. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of people have heard of this guy because because of Nadal because right. he's
0: part of this dynastic Spanish thing going on whereas if, if
1: Nadal weren't around he'd be like oh yeah this guy from Spain who's always in a quarter so
0: first it's kind the, of funny. First, has got this cult thing going on this year I feel like I, I think people are are going out of their way I think justifiably but in, in to, you know, to say that you know we can't forget about David Ferrer and then watch him win a grand slam and nobody will like him anyway he's got that underdog right, right. thing going. With Spain, like you said, you got the you have a dedicated doubles team on the, on their four-man roster, very U.S. like going on there. And to me, you know, Spain wins this with turning over essentially their entire team from the past couple uh, cups. It, it's you know it kind of just speaks to them again. And uh, I, I will mention just looking at the lineups here. Wouldn't it be something if uh, one of the big deciding factors this weekend turned out to be Lucas Rosal? Speaking of,
2: uh, if they throw him in, they throw him in. I guess if the Spain he, he tries, kind of th- knock out Nadal for all. If and, Spain, basically Spain throws Wimbledon, Nadal in, then you know <laughs> maybe we'll see Rasol. If somebody yeah. blew up the hotel while Rasol was out <laughs> getting a cup of coffee and there was nobody left,
0: <laughs> he'll be in there. Lucas Rassal. remember right. that name come uh, come Monday. So we're,
1: right. he'll probably be doing hand gestures and signals at the Spanish bench from his spot, sticking his tongue out, you know, wagging his ears.
0: I'm not that, sure Burdich yeah. would let him play, would he? Yeah. <laughs> We'll have uh, this covered, of course, previous Thursday racket reactions through the weekend, um, just as you saw during the World Tour Finals, of course. So for Pete, Steve, we'll get back together after this, um, get into our year in review, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.